0: Pick Me Up, I'm Scared, the podcast.
1: I'm your host, Madeline. And I'm your co-host, Kenna. Okay, Kenna, today I wanted to ask you about a movie I know we have both seen and I love, Minority Report. Oh! I think we were talking about this last episode. We definitely were, and I couldn't get it out of my head. Um, you know the precogs obviously in Minority Report. Yeah, that's
0: like basically they're like we are computers or computer people know you're going to commit a crime, so we got to arrest you before you commit the crime. Yeah,
1: pretty much. I think that's a good summary of it. Yeah. <laughs> the red ball, remember? Oh gosh. The, they they spit out these balls and oh. they you know and it's a red ball means a murder's going to happen. Why the balls? It I could know. just have like a screen that says murder. Mm, no, the ball. It's got to be a ping pong ball. They got to do like, <laughs> a, like a lottery style or yeah. like a, what are those machines
0: that's like Pee Wee Herman had where like he would like wake up out of bed and it'd be like a rolly ball and then it'd like make his toast and then iron his pants and yes. then like, I don't know, like mow his lawn. What are those machines called?
1: I forgot what they're called, but I know what you're talking about. They're the complicated, <laughs> simple machines. Yes. I can't remember their names. But exactly, um. So yeah, uh. I was thinking about the precogs, and I was thinking about how they predict crime before it happens, and I realized that we actually have precogs now. Whoa! We do. We have them. We have them. It's just AI. It's just artificial intelligence. Yeah, I was gonna be
0: like, it's probably just really banal and, like, just. I'm guessing just like quietly evil, and not a and not like you know, movie action style evil where there is some sort of machine that spits out fancy balls and irons your pants.
1: Right. No, the machines don't (laughs) iron your pants, but the machines, they do exist. They're in our computers. It is AI and algorithmic predictive software that we actually use in society for lots of things. Um, We use it for things like banking, medical care, education, and we do actually use it precog style to anticipate crime in communities. Whoa. Right, right. So today I wanted to talk about artificial intelligence. Ooh. I know. Exciting. Yeah. AKA AI, um, which is the simulation of human intelligence by machines. So I wanted to start out with a little bit of the history of AI. So basically, in 1950, British intellectual Alan Turing wrote a paper called Computing Machinery and Intelligence, where he explored ways to build intelligent machines and then test their intelligence. He was part of a generation of scientists, mathematicians, and philosophers who had grown up fascinated with the robots of science fiction lore. And now, as adults, they were working on turning these fantasies into realities. Prior to 1949, computers weren't able to store commands. They could only execute them. And computing was really expensive. We've all seen photos of computers that took up like entire rooms, right? And those computers cost up to $200,000 per month just to lease, not even own. And only select universities or major technology companies had access to them because of this. So to build AI, scientists would first have to figure out how to give computers memory and just basically have computers be more accessible for more people. So by 1955, they'd made a lot of progress, and the program called Logic Theorist was successfully developed. Engineered by Alan Newell, Cliff Shaw, and Herbert Simon, the Logic Theorist was the first artificial intelligence program in existence, and it was presented at the Dartmouth Summer Research Project on Artificial Intelligence by John McCarthy and Marvin Minsky in 1956. And over the next 17 years, AI really started to take off. Computers became smarter, faster, and cheaper to own. Newell and Simon developed a superior AI program called General Problem Solver. Joseph Weizenbaum developed something called Eliza, which could solve basic problems and began to interpret spoken language. The government became extremely interested, obviously, funding AI projects uh, at many leading institutions. In 1970, Marvin Mintz told Life Magazine, from three to eight years, we will have a machine with the general intelligence of an average human being. And in 1977, reigning world chess champion and grandmaster Gary Kasparov was defeated in a game by IBM's program Deep Blue, uh, a chess playing computer application. Computers were still too weak to make all of the hopes and dreams about um, possessing the general intelligence of an average human being a reality, but by the 1980s, John Hopfield and David Rummelhart had popularized this thing called deep learning, where computers could learn using experience. Uh, Edward Feigenbaum also introduced expert systems that mimicked the decision-making process of a human expert person. The program would ask an expert Ask an expert in a specific field how to respond to certain situations, which were then factored into the program. From there, non-experts could ask the program complex questions and receive expert advice. These became really popular in a variety of industries, showing the real-world implications of AI development, potentially for the first time. So people generally had really high hopes for artificial intelligence. In 1960, Herbert Simon had predicted that, quote, machines will be capable within 20 years of doing any work that a man can do. Marvin Minsk and his crew in 1970 thought that AI would, quote, "...precipitate the third industrial revolution, wipe out war and poverty, and roll up centuries of growth in science, education, and the arts." Barack Obama was hyped on AI, saying, quote, "...we've been seeing specialized AI in every aspect of our lives, from medicine and transportation to how electricity is distributed, and it promises to create a vastly more productive and efficient economy." And even Vladimir Putin was on board, saying, artificial intelligence is the future, not for only Russia, but for all of humankind. It comes with colossal opportunities. And um, everyone's least favorite person, Mark Zuckerberg, has said that arguing against AI is like arguing against safer cars that aren't going to have accidents, or arguing against being able to better diagnose people when they are sick. What?
0: I (laughs) I don't know a lot about, like, debate and stuff or you know maybe logic but it's just like what what is
1: that argument (laughs) well i think that what what he was saying is that he imagines a future where ai is better able to perform tasks than humans are which i think is actually it's it's ridiculous but It's a pretty common thread throughout a lot of these people who are excited about artificial intelligence. Yeah, it's just more like, he's like, you can't argue with that. You're like, but you're leaving so many
0: questions open here.
1: Exactly. I think that um, a lot of people imagined, though, that AI would somehow bring about utopia. Yeah, I'm like, oh, quaint. I know, it's quaint. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) given all of these hopes and dreams and all the effort that had been put in, where are we now? Well, we built AI to simulate human intelligence. The only problem, humans aren't necessarily that intelligent. We have all sorts of ignorant biases that impact our ability to rationally and objectively discern truth. I can't really speak for other cultures, but I know here in the U.S., racism, homophobia, sexism, and other forms of bigotry are a pervasive part of the post-colonial Western experience. And even our supposed greatest minds have said and done some blatantly fucked up shit in oh. this arena. Oh, yeah. So, um, trigger warning, you're about to hear a lot of racist stuff said by really famous people. Albert Einstein once wrote that the Chinese were, quote, industrious but filthy, end quote, and thought that uh, Chinese people supplanting all of their races would be a pity and unspeakably dreary. Benjamin Franklin once said, Why increase the sons of Africa by planting them in America, where we have so fair an opportunity by excluding all blacks and tawnies of increasing the lovely white and red? Thomas Jefferson once wrote that Blacks, whether originally a distinct race or made distinct by time and circumstances, are inferior to the whites in the endowments of both body and mind. Abraham Lincoln, uh, the guy who everyone says was so great for freeing the slaves, once said in the middle of a debate that, I will say then that I am not, nor have I ever been, in favor of bringing about in any way the social and political equality of the white and black races. There is a physical difference between the white and black races, which I... Believe will forever forbid the two races living together. While they do not remain together, there must be a position of superior and inferior, and I, as much as any man, am in favor of having the superior position assigned to the white race. Ugh. And Isaac Newton? He invested a fuck ton of money into the South Sea Company, a company that had a monopoly on enslaved people bound for Spanish colonies, which shipped out more than 30,000 people stolen from the coast of Africa across the Atlantic ocean to the transatlantic slave trade. So what happens when you train a computer to replicate human intelligence in a culture where, you know, men like these five are upheld as being some of the most intelligent people that we should, you know, be, I don't know, revering. It turns out that it replicates all that bad shit too. Oh wow, surprise, (laughs) surprise. I know, shocking, right? We made computers racist. Um, So remember all those people pioneering AI development in the forties and fifties? If you're anything like me, you already noticed a pattern in the development of artificial intelligence in that time. It was made predominantly by men, especially in its foundational stages. Which makes sense, especially when you look at the patterns of systemic oppression that existed in the U.S., especially in the 1940s and 1950s, which dictated opportunity, rights, and access to these collegiate settings where they actually had the funding to lease the really expensive computers. So, of course, when I Googled photos of these men, Alan Turing, Alan Newell, Cliff Shaw, Herbert Simon, John McCarthy, Marvin Minsk, Joseph Weizenbaum, John Hopfield, David Rummelhart, Edward Feigenbaum, it did not surprise me at all to see that they were all also white. So from the jump, we see that AI wasn't being built to replicate all of human intelligence. Instead, just the intelligence of a few white men. What could
0: go wrong? Oh, what? What per se?
1: A whole lot. See, when you train a computer to think like a human, you have to provide it a data set to work from. For example, if you wanted to train AI to identify what is and is not a hot dog, you would first have to provide it with a ton of photos of hot dogs and then a ton of photos of non-hot dog things until at each time like hey hot dog hey not hot dog and eventually with enough time and input the computer would on its own be able to identify hot dogs and a few issues can arise from this first of all there's this thing called data bias This can manifest in lots of ways, but a key way it can come about is through sample bias. This is the bias that comes with what type of data you're providing the machine to learn from. Say, for example, you only show it pictures of hot dogs in buns. Would the machine then be able to accurately identify a hot dog outside of a bun? Probably not. That would be the result of a human bias in data. I'm
0: sorry. I'm just imagining like this computer. Like, I think I'm just giving it human qualities, just being like, I can't tell the hot dog from the other hot dogs. Like, oh my God, this job is terrible. I'm I'm sorry. That is what I am envisioning in my brain.
1: I love it because I was just picturing a cartoon computer drawing with like a hot dog on it and a green check mark and the hot dog's in a bun. And then the <laughs> next one's just like a hot dog out of a bun playing sad alone. <laughs> and it's like a red X, like er,
0: wrong. <laughs> the computer is just like... Like, I'm just imagining just chain smoking a cigarette where like, I can't take any more hot dogs today.
1: I feel like how we're imagining the scenario. That's not how it is. It says a lot about who we are, though, and I appreciate that. I'm concerned for this computer. Yes, my computer was cute and happy in my brain. No thoughts, just la la la. Um, so this, this sample bias, this data bias, that's just one type of bias that can occur. There are also biases in things like reporting bias, selection bias, prejudice, historical unfairness, etc. And all of these things have led to AI being extremely biased. And researchers characterize these biases into three categories algorithmic prejudice, negative legacy, and underestimation. Algorithmic prejudice is when correlations occur in data sets between one group of things and another. So, for example, let's say you want to make a program that doesn't take into account the race of people, of subjects. However, it does take into account the postal codes of people, of the subjects. Well, in the US, that could be a major problem since we still have a lot of segregation here. So even though you've attempted to remove the bias of race from your equation, you've accidentally built it in since many people's postal codes correlate with geographical regions high in a specific racial makeup. Negative legacy is when an algorithm has bias that stems from human bias that affects the data it was used to train from. For example, many AI have been found to associate women's names with words like parents and weddings and men's names with things like professional and salary. Some AI have been found to associate pictures of kitchens with women. The machine itself isn't making these assumptions, however, the data the machine is using to learn from is based on years of human observation and behavior, which does include gender bias. The end result of failing to account for negative legacy in a system wherein human biases are now hardwired into the machine algorithm is codifying systemic bias and presenting it under the guise of a neutral, unbiased machine. One study found that if you let AI learn only by crawling through the internet for data, it would emerge with a strong prejudicial bias against women and black people. Last is underestimation. This is when a data set is insufficient or too small for the machine to adequately learn from. Amazon ran into this issue when attempting to use AI to screen applicants. Because Amazon had an overwhelmingly male workforce, the AI they used was more confident in evaluating male applicants, leading to stronger recommendations for men over women. The existence of these biases has real world implications in a number of different arenas beyond these. So first off, um, I want to talk about facial recognition. Uh, Remember that hot dog data set thing? Like the stakes seem pretty low, right? Like who cares if a computer can't tell if a hot dog in a bun is a hot dog or not, right? But what happens when you as a white man in Silicon Valley are developing facial recognition software to do things like open your telephone. Let's say you build your data set of faces to teach your AI, but just using your coworkers around the office. That sounds pretty convenient, right? And it is until you realize that your coworkers are mostly white men. Apple's facial recognition technology was released in 2017, so I found some data from 2014 when I imagine this technology was probably being developed. In that year, tech workers were 54% white and 80% men at Apple, 53% white and 85% men at Facebook, 60% white and 83% men at Google, and 57% white and 83% men at Microsoft. So if you've used your coworkers as the dataset, now what you've done is trained your phone's facial recognition facial recognition software to overwhelmingly recognize the faces of white men. And this actually ended up being an issue. This is why women in the eastern Chinese city of Nanjing were able to open each other's phones coworkers in an office with the facial recognition feature despite them not looking anything alike. They both just happened to be Asian women. MIT researcher Joy Balamwini found that most facial recognition training data sets are estimated to be more than 75% male and more than 80% white. When the person in the photo was a white man, the software was accurate 99% of the time at identifying the person. According to Balamwini's Balamwini's research, sorry, I'm trying to pronounce, the product error rates for three products were less than 1% overall, but increased to more than 20% in one product and 34% in the other two in the identification of darker skinned women as female. A federal study in the US conducted by the National Institute of Standards and Technology in 2019 found many of the world's top facial recognition systems to be biased on the lines of age, gender, and ethnicity. That National Institute of Standards and Technology says it found empirical evidence in an analysis of 189 algorithms currently sold on the market of misidentifying Asians and African Americans up to 100 times more frequently than white men. Twitter also came under fire for this. In 2020, a tweet went viral showing that Twitter's facial recognition algorithm had a preference for recognizing the faces of white people leading to a tool cropping out black faces to instead center on white ones in photos. Apparently, some of what were called, quote, latent variables in the AI led to the error. Though people speculate collections of images the algorithm used to learn how to identify human faces simply contained a lot more white people than black people, and nobody tested for this before the feature was rolled out. And as bad as that is, it's nowhere near as horrible as a Google Photos algorithmic glitch, is what they called it, that incorrectly labeled images of black people as, and I have to pause before I say this because it is so offensive that like, it needs like a trigger warning and a moment to collect yourself because this had me really messed up for a long time. It incorrectly labeled images of black people as gorillas, which is just so beyond racist. And I cannot believe that Google would let this happen without testing it. And it's really, it just tells you they did not test this feature on black people at all. And it's more than just a gaffe. It's something that's built on so much legacy of racism against black people that, at, I don't know, I it, this, this fact had me messed up for days when I heard this. Horrible. Um, the sirens in the background of this are actually really appropriate because the next point That this all brings me to is policing
0: Um, oh yes I I feel like the minority report is is coming up
1: yes this is all very minority report um so in a world where facial recognition software is of increasing interest to law enforcement this should be discussed in conjunction with the current role of AI in policing so I know different countries are at varying positions with facial recognition software being used um, in law enforcement. I think in uh, the UK they're currently rolling out tests to try to use it on people just walking down the street in public places. I know you and I talked about in our last episode about the Olympics, how Japan was using it um, in their like law enforcement surrounding the Olympics. So this is a major thing, um, but that is not the only place in which artificial intelligence is being used in policing. According to database activists, Yashima Bayet Milner, there is a long history of data being weaponized against black communities. The primary form of racist AI that Milner and many others focus on is a predictive policing tool, which comes in two different forms. The first is a location based algorithm, which draws links between places, events, and historical crime rates to predict when and where crime will occur. These include things like weather conditions, sporting events, etc., and they are identified as hotspots. So once these hotspots are identified, police can plan increased patrols in these areas. The second is a non-location based algorithm. And these use data like age, gender, marital status, history of substance abuse and criminal record to predict what people have a higher chance of being involved in future criminal activity, precogs. (laughs) I hate this. You know, I, I think I've talked to you this before about
0: how bad humans are at predicting stuff even using computers like i remember listening to some podcasts it was like of this american life or something of that npr-ish nature where all these data scientists got all this data about these kids who over 10 year you know like all the data they could and they uh used a number of years of information about their lives to predict whether they would i believe it was graduate high school or get straight a's or something And it was just like one very small thing. And they were right in predicting it 0% of the time. Wow. And I think about this a lot, how bad people are at predicting stuff. Like if you just think about, I don't know, even people like in high school, you're like, I always thought this person would go off to be like, I don't know, like some punk rock, you know, like, you know, living in like a, a tree house in, the Pacific Northwest, and then the, you look on Facebook and they're like, oh, they're just a normal... They're a banker. They're a banker. <laughs> yes. Like, you know, we're always so we're, so... we're I feel like just in general, like, not even on a state level. Yes. And when the state gets involved, it's fucked. But, like, even just on a personal level,
1: humans are really bad at predicting the future and really bad at predicting what other people will do. This is super true. So these person-based tools despite all of this are used by both police to predict when crime will occur and by court systems to determine who is most likely to reoffend and they actually use this in sentencing procedures So these court system algorithms um, like compass, which is one example, help make decisions about release and sentencing, issuing a score between one to 10 to determine how likely they think someone is to be rearrested if released. So one to four is low risk, five to seven is medium risk and eight to 10 is high risk. This score is then included in a dependent report given to the judge prior to sentencing. However, Compass refuses to show how the scores are calculated, and since they are a private company, they are well within their legal right to maintain this data as a trade secret, despite the fact that it's being used in a public government capacity that affects countless lives. So what we do know is that Compass uses a questionnaire that doesn't ask specifically about things like skin color, heritage, or zip code, but it does ask questions like whether a defendant lives in a neighborhood with, quote, much crime whether they have had trouble finding jobs that pay more than minimum wage. These questions are more appropriately posed to a society rather than an individual, and it underscores the bias in them. The answers are correlated with protected attributes, including race, which means that algorithms can learn to effectively see those attributes in the data. And protected attributes are what programmers specifically attempt not to include in this data in an effort to be more neutral. However, by refusing to account for them and for the biases that come with them, these protected attributes end up not being protected at all. A 2016 study found that Compass exhibits a notable bias against black defendants because of this. The study found that black defendants are more likely than white defendants to be incorrectly assigned a higher risk of recidivism and white defendants are more likely to be judged as low risk. All of these algorithms draw on pre existing data built on centuries of racial bias in the US according to the Department of Justice, you are more than two times as likely to be arrested if you're black than if you're white. A black person is five times as likely to be stopped without just cause as a white person. One third of unarmed people killed by police are black despite the black community, only making up 13% of the US population. More than half of innocent death row exonerees are black and nearly half of all death row inmates are black. And innocent black people are seven times more likely to be wrongfully convicted than innocent white people of crimes amongst other things. And all of this data is built into these programs like Compass, even when they attempt to exclude it, because it's just so entrenched in all of our criminal records and criminal Mm -hmm. records and arrest records are what is fed into these algorithms in an effort to help predict what's going on. In 2010, a New Orleans police department uh, was full of cases of power abuse and discrimination against black and LGBTQ people. Um, So as a result of this, data regarding arrests and police reports were deeply biased against black and LGBTQ people. However, when only a year later, the police department decided to begin using algorithms of predicting policy to predict crimes, they didn't clean up that bad old legacy data. They just gave that data to the algorithm as fact. And as an obvious result, the algorithm predictions were completely biased against black and LGBTQ people as well. However, the difference is now, rather than being able to look at people and say, hey, these people on the police force have biases, they're able to point to a machine, a computer, and say, hey, this is actually neutral. This isn't biased, it's a machine, it's data. Who can argue with that? Despite the fact that the data being used is in fact, data of things like arrest records done by human beings who do have biases. Predictive policing uses the centuries of racial biases in our justice system to make it seem like certain racial groups are predisposed to just do bad things and therefore justifies police control in these communities. One study commissioned by the UK Government Center for Data Ethics and Innovation last year found that identifying certain areas as hotspots primes officers to expect trouble when on patrol, making them more likely to stop or arrest people there because of prejudice rather than need. Another study in algorithmic discrimination in New York City found that one algorithm recommends the release of white defendants at a significantly higher rate than black defendants with identical pretrial misconduct potential. When calibrated to the average New York City release rate of 73%, the algorithm recommends an 8 percentage point higher release for white defendants than equally qualified black defendants. As experts explain, we don't actually have data on crime. What we have is data on arrests, which are based off of built-in human biases in policing. Some tools use even weaker data, like phone calls to police to determine where crime occurs. And as we all know, a phone call to the police doesn't equal crime, especially in a place like the United States, where white people call the police on their black neighbors all the time for doing things like swimming in public pools, sitting in public parks, or walking their dogs. What this creates is a racism and policing feedback loop, wherein bad arrests provide the justification for more bad arrests by codifying it into the algorithm. Additionally, there's little oversight into which tools police are or are not allowed to use, as the tools are considered elements of machinery rather than justice. It's treated much like if your department wanted to buy a car, and these developers of these tools, like Compass, are under no legal obligation to disclose racial inconsistencies or prejudices. In 2014, then-U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder warned that these predictive policy risk scores were codifying biases in the court systems. He called for the U.S. Sentencing Commission to study their use. Here's a quote by him. He said, Although these measures were crafted with the best of intentions, I am concerned that they inadvertently undermine our efforts to ensure individualized and equal justice. They may exacerbate unwarranted and unjust disparities that are already far too common in our criminal justice system and in our society.
0: Oh, so they're just like being like, it's not us, it's the robots. They're doing this.
1: Right, and it uh, takes a lot of the accountability away oh, from yeah, police departments.
0: yeah, for sure. They're like passing the buck. They're like... it's just the the robots they they are they are just you know they're they're robot you know they're they're all knowing
1: they're all knowing the robot god makes no mistakes (laughs) but the robot is not a god the (laughs) robot is is we we are the god and we made it in our image and our image is flawed (laughs) um so ai is also used a lot in banking the financial service industry has come to rely heavily on algorithmic ai but this means mixed results for consumers AI now combines traditional things like credit scores with non-traditional data that banking customers and applicants might not even be aware is collected. This means consumers can be denied things like credit cards based on things not even included in their credit reports. You can review and appeal inconsistencies on your credit report, but how can you appeal something you didn't even know you were being ranked on? Much like with policing, the data being used in finance reflects decades of existing bias in banking. Including centuries of practices like redlining, which denied Black consumers loans for homes for decades. For example, in two thousand nineteen, African Americans were denied mortgages at a rate sixteen percent, and Hispanics at eleven point six percent, compared with just seven percent for White Americans. Which is data coming from the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. An Iowa State University studied a. Uh, a study published the same year found that LGBTQ couples were 73% more likely to be denied a mortgage than heterosexual couples with comparable financial credentials. A 2018 study by National Fair Housing Alliance found black Americans are often charged more for their auto loans. And this is the data being potentially compounded into secret algorithms used by banking institutions, either overtly or by online proximity to other factors. Lisa Rice, the president and chief executive of the National Fair Housing Alliance, said she was skeptical when mortgage lenders said their algorithms considered only federally sanctioned variables like credit score, income, and assets. Uh, According to Rice, data scientists will say, if you've got a thousand bits of information going into an algorithm, you're not possibly only looking at three things. If the objective is to predict how well this person will perform on a loan and to maximize profit, the algorithm is looking at every single piece of data to achieve those objectives. The algorithm doesn't say, Let's overcharge Lisa because of discrimination. It says, if she'll pay more for auto loans, she'll very likely pay more for mortgage loans, not taking into account the fact that Lisa was overcharged for an auto loan because she is black. It creates huge loopholes that would make use of discriminatory algorithmic-based systems legal. One report found that AI, not being able to distinguish causation from correlation, uses data from social media or even applicants' friends' credit scores as a predictor of details because, yes, algorithms assume financially responsible people only associate with other financially responsible people. AI might also learn that people predisposed to typing in all caps or misspelling words would have higher rates of defaulting on loans as well as applicants who shop at certain grocery store chains. All of this has led to a contemporary banking reality wherein black and Latino people are routinely priced into higher interest rate brackets on mortgages than white counterparts with similar credit scores. One study found that AI-based lending led to black and Latinx borrowers paying 5.6 to 8.6 basis points higher interest on purchase loans than white and Asian ethnicity borrowers do and three basis points more on refinance loans. For borrowers, these disparities cost them 250 to $500 million collectively annually. And for lenders, this amounted to 11% to 17% higher profits on purchase loans to minorities, based on the industry average 50 basis point profit on loan issuance. In a recent controversy, the algorithm that calculates credit quotas for Apple's new credit card was found to give higher limits to men than women. Oh my God. And in a recent study by Harvard researcher Latanya Sweeney, it was discovered that online search queries for African-American names were more likely to return micro targeting ads of higher interest credit cards and other sketchy financial products that prey on low income people. So in addition to banking, we also deal with uh, AI in education. This one uh, was particularly surprising to me, but standardized tests provided to high schoolers often use AI to read students essays and assign a score. These programs look for a program set of vocabulary terms and they have a pattern of punishing black students. In Britain, after exams were canceled due to COVID the British government used an AI algorithm to predict what students would probably have scored on tests. It thinks and implemented that as grades. These programs used a student's attendance records and previous grades to calculate a score. This oh. ended up inflating the grades of private school students though, and lowering the results of kids in less high-end schools and school systems. AI is pre- present in other ways in education too, from chat bots to plagiarism detecting software and grammar checking apps. But now it's moving into more serious realms as well, like grading assignments, recommending classes, and even teaching. AI is said to determine how well students is used to determine how well students might do if admitted to a certain school and assessing their financial need. Hundreds of colleges subscribe to private platforms that do intensive data analysis about past classes and use it to score applicants for admissions on factors like the likelihood they'll enroll, the amount of financial aid they'll need, the probability they'll graduate, and how likely they are to be engaged alumni. One company, Kira Talent, offers a review system for schools with an add-on feature that can score an applicant's personality traits and soft skills based on a recorded AI-reviewed video the student submits. don't even... One day we'll have to do an episode on personality tests. Yes, that would be a good one. (laughs) A company presentation shows students being scored on a five-point scale that measures things like openness, motivation, agreeableness, and neuroticism.
0: How how do you measure... I hate... I hate when we put numbers on things because sometimes I feel like I'm one of those people I'm like, that person was lovely. And another person will be like, what the fuck? That person is so difficult. Like, how
1: can you, I don't know how you measure this shit. Like this also like hit home for me because I am what many people would call neurotic. I have a number of very intense anxiety disorders and ADHD. And I am generally very uh, unagreeable. However, uh, I was a straight A student in school and I graduated in high school in three (laughs) years instead of four. I was valedictorian. I was very good at school. However, I would probably have failed this, this personality (laughs) assessment. Uh, uh, Yeah. Sorry.
0: That was from water.
1: (laughs) That okay. was not
0: me not believing you.
1: Oh, I like the idea that you were caught to not believe me, though.
0: Like,
1: no. Don't I'm choke. I'm just
0: choking on this sip of water. Wow. You good? I'm, I'm going to stay alive. Okay. All right. Hope. You'll survive. <clears throat> uh,
1: okay. So, next, we have... Uh, New York university, NYU, Southeast Missouri state university and other schools using a different service called element Four Fifty One, which rates prospects potential for success based on how they interact with the school's website and respond to its automated messages. No!
0: Okay. Like also who is making this fucking website? It's horrible. Like, uh, ugh. Course- what is the UX? I want to know. I bet it looks like, I bet it's like, ugh. I feel like it's the little
1: chat bots that pop up on screen that are like, hi, are you interested?
0: It's like the Microsoft paperclip. Yes, it's the Microsoft paperclip (laughs) on this website. We're old enough to be like, remember the Microsoft paperclip? I kind
1: of liked the Microsoft paperclip. (laughs) Honestly, I know people were not into it, but I was into it.
0: I hated the paperclip. (laughs) I hated it.
1: (laughs) <laughs> um, according to USA Today, though, in at least one case, a seemingly promising use of AI and admissions decisions was halted because by using algorithms to score applicants based on historical precedent, it perpetuated bias. Something called GRADE, which is the Graduate Admissions Evaluator, an AI evaluation system built and used by the Graduate Program in Computer Science at the University of Texas at Austin, reviewed applications and assigned scores based on the likelihood of admission by a review committee. The goal was to reduce human time spent reviewing the increasing pile of applications, which grade did, cutting review time down by 74%. But the university dropped grade last year, agreeing that it had the potential to replicate superficial biases in the scoring, scoring some applications up, not because they were good, but because they looked like the kind of applicants that had been approved in the past. And once you're out of school, you'll encounter more AI in hiring when looking for a job. Remember that thing about Amazon uh, making that AI system for applications that just ended up favoring men? It used an algorithm which was created by the company's predominantly male engineering department to recognize word patterns and resumes rather than work experience, but ended up penalizing any resume that contained the word women's in it, including women's colleges, for example. Oof. That wasn't the only hiring issue though that AI has codified. A 2016 finding on LinkedIn showed that if you search for a woman's name on the website, an algorithm will ask you if you meant to search for a similar man's name instead. <laughs> Looking up, someone named Stephanie, it will recommend Steven instead. Uh, they're like, Stephanie, uh, she, she works in the kitchen. <laughs> yes, I think you meant Steven. Danielle, it recommends Daniel. Alexa, it recommends Alex. Searches for traditional men's names do not bring up uh, similar reverse gendered results suggestions. Hmm. LinkedIn says its suggested results are generated automatically by an analysis of the tendencies of past searches. It's the robots. It's not us. Right. It's all based on how people are using the platform, said spokeswoman Susie Owens. Similarly, though, job matching algorithms may not receive the gender field as an input, but have been found to produce different match scores for two resumes that differ only in the substitution of the name Mary for Mark because the algorithm is trained to make these distinctions over time. Christian Sandvig, a professor at University of Michigan School of Information, says there are also studies that show women are more likely to be shown lower paying jobs than men in online ads, which are based on algorithms. Oh, surprise, surprise. Yes. And the last one that I thought was... Uh, especially interesting is social media. So when looking at social media use of AI, um, the first one that came to my mind was YouTube. Because in addition to things like facial recognition algorithms, reinforcing bias on social media, racism is reinforced online in other ways too. YouTube's view hungry algorithm has been proven to pipeline users into progressively more extreme content and usually in a right wing capacity. Someone viewing an alien conspiracy theory video on YouTube, for example, within one month can find themselves pipelined into a far right white supremacy video line in a slow and steady way that's akin to slowly turning up the heat on a pot of water until nobody notices they're being boiled alive. But instead of water, it's right wing racist conspiracy theories. Uh, Facebook is another great example of this. On Facebook, the AI driven feed is created to generate maximum engagement as well. Much like YouTube, the goal is to keep users on the screen as long as possible. And this often means pushing incendiary polarizing content that doesn't need to necessarily be based on fact or reality. Algorithms were found on Facebook to distort conversations into polarizing insidious echo chambers. This is a problem when you consider that 44% of adults reportedly get their news from Facebook, where much of the news isn't actually news at all, but more like tabloid clickbait designed to keep you on the screen, which explains a lot of the issues we run into with media literacy, especially in people our parents age, 50 and up, who can't tell the difference between real news and fake news presented on Facebook. Additionally, these polarized political sides can lead to mass reporting of content that no human moderates. A notable example uh, is the removal by Facebook of Freedom for Palestine, a multi-artist collaboration posted by Coldplay after a number of users reported the song as abusive. In mid-2020, Facebook AI also deleted at least 35 accounts of Syrian journalists and activists on the pretext of terrorism when in reality they were campaigning against violence and terrorism. Another example of this is Twitter. In a particularly disturbing study, a Microsoft chatbot spent a day on Twitter learning, then just started spouting anti-Semitic messages, including, these ones are going to be hard. Are you ready? (laughs) So this is a big trigger warning. This is really disturbing. Hitler was right. And more complicated, Ricky Gervais learned totalitarianism from Adolf Hitler, the inventor of atheism. Users on Twitter frequently wonder why right wing hate pages stay up much longer than progressive left-leaning political content does. In 2019, one study found that tweets written in African-American English, commonly spoken by black Americans, are up to twice as much likely to be flagged as offensive compared to others. Using a data set of 155,800 tweets, another study found a similar widespread racial bias against black speech patterns which could explain why a lot of more leftist political ideologies seem to come down or be flagged more often than right-wing ones because right-wing ideologies tend to be espoused more by people who benefit from the power structures, right? Mm -hmm. So they tend to be white. Another good example of this is Instagram. Instagram has had similar issues where posts about things like missing and murdered indigenous women and girls They go missing from creators' pages all the time due to algorithm-based reviews of the content. According to an article in The Conversation, due to the sheer volume of reports received on a daily basis, there are simply not enough moderators to review each report adequately. Also, complexities and subtleties of language pose real challenges. Meanwhile, marginalized groups reclaiming abusive terms for public awareness, such as BLM or MMIWG, which is the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls, can easily be misinterpreted as being abusive by the algorithms. And lastly, this brings us to TikTok. When I think of algorithms, I think of TikTok because TikTok has done such a good job of creating a for you page that really is for you. Algorithms, though, here not only push people into their own corners of the Internet with echo chamber biases, but they've also been criticized for minimizing the views of videos of people of color or even uh, minimizing the views of people whose homes have what one person described as poor person lighting or cracks (laughs) in the walls. Users discussing political issues routinely find themselves banned from posting for days on end, and many have begun suspecting that the videos flagged for review aren't viewed by human beings at all, but simply more AI. Plus size users frequently find themselves flagged for nudity, despite wearing just as much clothing as their thin counterparts, another suspected glitch of the AI. In the earlier weeks of March 2020, The Intercept collected inside documents from TikTok which showed that the app's creators considered physical features such as, quote, dwarfism, eye disorders, ugly facial looks, abnormal body shapes, and obvious beer belly, end quote, to be unfit for the platform, and as a result, put policies in place that purposely flagged videos featuring such content, teaching the algorithm to minimize how often they were viewed. The report from The Intercept also emphasized how the platform removed videos of people who shared certain kinds of political beliefs and seemed to be of lower socioeconomic status, using cracked walls and disreputable decorations as ground for censorship that was then codified into the algorithm. Although a spokesperson for TikTok told The Intercept that, Such policies, which represented early blunt attempts to prevent bullying, are either no longer in use or in some cases appear to have never been in place. Some influencers are still experiencing censoring on their videos due to the same issues, which could be maybe not intentional, but just a result of what their algorithm has learned. The echo chamber might be reinforced by how TikTok recommends new people to follow as well. One user showed that if you follow a white woman with blonde hair, for example, TikTok will recommend that you follow three more white women with blonde hair. The same goes if you follow a black man, etc. This creates a lack of diversity in people's feeds on their For You page, a highly algorithmized homepage system that shows users what TikTok thinks they want to see. And on that For You page, TikTok has previously admitted to suppressing posts from physically disabled, LGBTQ, and overweight users. Additionally, TikTok has come under fire for racial bias as well. There was what TikTok called a technical glitch that affected the view counts displayed on videos tagged with the hashtags uh, Black Lives Matter and George Floyd. One popular black creator, Ziggy Tyler, wasn't allowed to use the word black in his creator marketplace bio on TikTok. It was labeled inappropriate content but when he put in supporting white supremacy or supporting white success, no issues, totally fine. He took it one step further and then typed in, I am a neo-Nazi and that was approved. Ugh. Even anecdotally, I've experienced this as a TikTok user. When TikTok rolled out its new auto captions feature this year, I was excited to get to try it. And I made a video talking about the process of redlining in US history which of course talks about how black families were denied loans on mortgages. My usual video view counts range from 25,000 views per video to up to a million. These videos got 100 views.
0: Whoa.
1: When I re uploaded the same video without the captions feature, it got a normal 25 K plus view. And what I realized hmm, is that I mean, th- I'm not a
0: tinfoil hat wearing person. <laughs> However,
1: yeah, it seems pretty obvious. I might
0: start making a little fedora.
1: They are using the words found in the auto captions feature to censor content. Um, So, with all of this said, it's not too late to fix it. What it takes, however, is oddly the same solution we need in society at large to combat these issues outside of the machine which is to not simply ignore issues of gender, race, sexuality, and other identities of marginalized people to not simply try to be neutral about them. Instead, it's actually to be actively aware of them being anti-racist, anti-sexist, anti biased It's to recognize the identities and implement measures specifically to protect them from incurring bias in the future. So like these policing softwares, for example, attempted to remove race from the equation. Instead, what many experts have said would actually help them be less racist is to include race into the equation and attempt to offset and account for racial biases that may have been codified into the data set in the past.
0: Yeah, it's like those people who say, I don't see race.
1: Exactly. And there's even a whole nother element of this, which is in medicine there's um all of these softwares too that use ai that have been built into how we like practice medicine here today and medicine is another like huge issue um i know like people have said like the american like like hospital system is to black women what the prison system is to black men because there's so much medical racism and even like at a hospital level it's been found that uh the algorithm used to determine if somebody is at risk of cardiovascular issues, assigns accidentally um, lower risk to black patients than white patients. There's also another software that they were using for a while that was supposed to determine Um, Which patients were most in need of using specialized, like advanced healthcare support, but it ended up trying to use how much money patients had spent in the past on medical procedures to determine how at risk they were, thinking that the money you spent at a hospital equaled how much treatment you required, but it didn't take into account the fact, for example, that many black people do not trust the medical system here specifically because of how racist it is and therefore are less likely to go to the doctor and when they go to the doctor are less likely to be taken seriously for their symptoms therefore resulting in less overall treatment so what they should have done instead is taken that into account in their algorithmic processes because when they left that out what it showed was that black patients with just as severe of symptoms spent on average $1,800 less per year than white people with the same symptoms. So it ended up recommending all these white people for this advanced treatment that would help them better because they spent more money. And the algorithm was like, oh, well, therefore you must have more severe symptoms. Another similar thing was done with people needing kidney treatment. Um, there's like this algorithm was supposed to measure creatinine, I think is what it's how it's pronounced in your system. And what they ended up doing was um, like there's this belief that black people are more muscular than white people, so their bodies naturally produce more of that chemical. So they ended up like accidentally overcompensating for this belief in some way, which I'm not a doctor, I have no medical knowledge whatsoever, but the end result ended up making it look like black people were less in need of kidney transplants and kidney treatments than white counterparts in the exact same like area of need And this has been like across the board in the medical system as well. Um, There was also something that happened with childbirth. Uh, Cesarean sections are generally considered to be more high risk than vaginal births. However, these systems that take into account, like if you as an individual will be negatively affected by a cesarean section, they measure the potential for negative risk and negative outcome and basically um because black people have historically been treated so horribly by our medical systems what they ended up doing was saying that all black people were too at risk to ever have a cesarean section even if they needed one medically because it was Instead of taking into account the fact that the system has been so racist to black people that it has affected how they interact with it, they were just like, oh, you're, you're all too high risk for this. Like, you're never going to be able to have a cesarean section. What? Yeah. So across the medical field is like a really great example of all these algorithms that were put into place that have been shown to systemically like deny black people adequate care because they failed to account for the history of medical racism in the United States and you know if you think about the things we've learned about medical racism I'm sure like you've heard about how many doctors believe that black people literally feel less pain than white people yes I was thinking that during this and like how fucked it is right so things like that these beliefs have been a part of our medical records and practices for so long and then of course we have the horrible experimentation that has been done on people of color by the hospital systems in our country and all of that rather than accounting for it and attempting to correct for it they just were like we we don't see race we don't see color and it ended up doubling down on everything Mm -hmm. in the medical industry as well so we see like all these ways that it's basically interacting with us in these negative horrifying systems and i just i do i think it's really interesting that i'm like it's the same answer in society Nobody benefits when you say you don't see color. You need to say mm-hmm. you see the color, and furthermore, you see the ways in which people of color have been treated horribly by the system in the past, and we want to actively fix it. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we've got the precogs, and they're, they're all racist, and they live in our computers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what do, you, what do you think about this? What do you think of the future of AI, taking all of this into account? Well, I was just thinking
0: on how... I- I feel like, I mean, I'm no smarty pants, but to me it seems like maybe we need to work on the the problems in our society from like, even like a philosophical level or like what's, you know, what is important to us morally, you know, like taking into account history um, before we focus on the robots, maybe we should um, be focusing on the people. And I, you know, I do think that, like, you know, like you were saying, robots come from science fiction and a lot of like, you know, uh, there's some like good utopian ideals in science fiction. Like I think of like Star Trek and like uh, or like I just finished reading The Dispossessed by Ursula K. Le Guin. There's like a lot of good like, you know, ideas that we can think of for technology bettering society. But I think sometimes that. You know, in our culture, which, you know, here really values like story, excitement, you know, it it glosses over the harder work of us humans interacting and getting along with each other, you know, rather than just robots coming in and fixing the situation. It's like we need to you know, have a frank discussion about the problems in our society and what they need rather than just like, well, we got an AI for, we got an algorithm for that. Let the blockchain handle it. Oh my gosh. Sorry. If someone tries to explain blockchain to me again, I don't know. Maybe I need someone to do that. However, (laughs) but yeah, it's just so weird to me that we're just like, yeah, like, like AI will fix everything rather than like, there's some like, not that it will could learn and perpetuate the problems and you know like it's but it's you know I think for a lot of people it's hard to see around us um like I was thinking of Ursula K Le Guin and her quote that's basically like you know for many years people thought you know only of the power of kings that was like their you know the life we you know the life that we live people never thought that there could anything be anything but like a feudal system the king and I think that we think this way about capitalism and our society and how it functions now, we can't imagine that it would be different because, you know, a lot of us are so entrenched in it. and
1: it Right. It's hard to see from the outside when you're inside it so yeah. deep. Yeah.
0: And, like, when you can't see, you know, from the out... Or you only have one perspective and you create something that can do radical work to further your position your ideal your worldview when that worldview is hurtful right and beyond hurtful is like you know bad you know (laughs) beyond bad like it's that's really dangerous to me when you can't see it for yourself
1: It's true. I think like also like in the short term, a major issue is, do you remember when I was reading those numbers to you about the um, gender and racial makeup of these major like Silicon Valley, like tech firms? Mm -hmm. So Silicon Valley in particular has more of an issue with a lack of diversity than other industries. Like when they're compared to other industries, they're always doing worse. And for a while they were trying to correct for this and it just kind of, they silently went away from it. But, I feel like you know when you think about a future that has so much technology involved, these people working these tech jobs have so much power, and looking at those people, like they have as much power in lots of places as our elected politicians oh, yeah, and no one
0: I mean, we can talk all we want about our electoral system, right, but no one fucking elected these people
1: nobody elected these and people how
0: much of like life now is intertwined with social media, computers, the internet, technology. And, you know, I, uh, you know, have taken some classes, you know, one of my degrees in digital media studies about Mm -hmm. like, you know, what does digital technology mean for society? And granted, this was, you know, a million years ago now, but I just think about how people don't realize how many things can go wrong with technology because of all the parts you know, that, that are interconnected with each other until it's too late. Like the um flight, the airline flight that just went down bec- or that not just went down the one that they couldn't figure out why it went down. And it turned out there was like a very, there was like a glitch in the computer system that a bunch of people looked at and they're like, ah, oh, it's fine. It's a, but this one little thing in the, you know, the code caused a plane to crash wow and just one little thing it's kind of like a butterfly effect and i feel like with all this technology doing so many things there's so much i mean there's things that can go right but there's so much that can go wrong that we don't even think about whereas you know we're not focusing on day-to-day issues that really could be helpful
1: to people it's true and it's like obviously you know like the answer is always like public ownership of these fields, right? That there's like a accountability and responsibility to the people rather than like, um, so much focus on like profit, 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 because it's like how many of these issues go unchecked because it's not profitable. Um, and that's like a major thing. Like what if the people in our tech, what if technology was treated as a public utility and as a public service and there was oversight for it. And there were, we did get to elect the people, who were in control of these things. And we did get to keep an eye on it and say like we need more diversity because with the Google Photos thing in particular, it's like one black person on your team would have fixed that. One black person would have caught that, you know? And there are a lot of black women in technology using it as a form of activism right now. And it's amazing. Like um, one of the people we talked about who does uh, the data sets for black lives has a whole website where she 's dedicated to um, the intersection of like black lives matter and and data and AI big data is what she calls it, and you know that's that 's a great step in the meantime and it 's like how do we as a public so support those those people? How do we get more of those people in positions of power because there is so much power that comes into this and it's another one of those things that comes down to the more you emphasize profit over people, the more you're going to end up in situations where this stuff just spirals out of control. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, you know, you've got your mom on Facebook, like, not understanding that what she's seeing isn't real news. It's mm-hmm. it's an algorithm telling her that she likes hyper-sensationalized, clickbait, National Enquirer-style tabloid trash. And that's what she's seeing. And she can't tell the difference because she's not media literate enough, you know? So I think, like... Yeah, I don't know. I like the idea of technology as a public utility, though. Yeah. To be monitored by the pu- I like the idea of everything as a public utility, though. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't know, it's pretty interesting. Pre cogs. Yeah. Minority report. We're in it. <laughs> we're in it. Thanks so much for listening to another episode. If you would like to, you can find us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash pick me up. I'm scared. For $2 a month, you can join our Patreon and receive access to a link where you can leave us voice messages, which we might respond to on our next episode or on a uh, bonus-only episode for our Patreon subscribers. And if not, that's cool too. We're still happy you're here.